And so Luke 23. Starting at verse 32. Here follows God's word. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And now we'll move to Philippians. Philippians 1, 19 to 26. So this is Paul speaking. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Thus far, the reading of God's word will now move to the confessional readings. Now you could turn in your hymnal to page 878. And we'll read Lord's Day 16. 
Why did Christ have to suffer death? Because, because God's... Oh. And why was he buried? And since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? And why does the creed add, he descended to hell? And we'll now also... Uh, you guys surprised me there a bit. <laughs> uh, I'm also, I'll just read from Lord's, the, the larger catechism, Westminster Catechism. It has three question and answers that deal on this topic, specifically uh, Lord's Day 16, question and answer 42, about why do we still have to die. And so that's on page 949. So these are a little longer, so I'll just read them uh, for you. So page 949, question and answer 84 to 86. And so you'll see the similarity um, with question and answer 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Shall all men die? Death being threatened as the wages of sin, it is appointed unto all men once to die. For that all have sinned. And death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ. The righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day, and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. And what is this communion in glory with Christ? which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death? The communion and glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death, is in that their souls are then made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death continue united to Christ and rest in their graves as in their beds, till at the last day they again be united to their souls. Whereas the souls of the wicked are at their death cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, and their bodies kept in their graves as in their prisons, till the resurrection and judgment of the great day. Thus the confessional reading.
Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you know how the book of Ecclesiastes begins, it says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And this mean that, means that everything is a mist, a morning mist that when the sun comes out, disappears. It's there and then it's gone. A healthy man is here and then in the blinking of an eye, he has passed away. A generation comes and another generation will go. And Isaiah 25 sharpens what we understand by this vanity of vanities when it says that death is a veil that overshadows all the world. As we grow older, or because of serious illness or accidents, we fall apart. Our lives disintegrate before our eyes. And the reason is that a curse is upon humanity. Now, some of us have had near-death experiences, or I know, I'm sure you could think of others who have. And some of us here may be facing death now. And yet, really, all of us, all of us will have to face death at one point, unless our Lord returns. And so we need to come to grips with our own death. We need to ask ourselves a broader question, why do we die? And then more specifically, what is the role of dying for the Christian? And then even more specifically, personally, how can I die faithfully and with hope? And so whether you're young and still in school or whether you're old, whether you're healthy or you're sick, we must prepare ourselves for death by hearing God's good news about this issue. And so I preach to you God's word under the following theme which you can find in your bulletin. Christ transforms our death from a curse into a blessing. And so in the first part we'll see how Christ has, takes away this curse in the second place, we'll see how Christ actually adds blessings to our death. And so first we see that Jesus Christ takes away the curse of death. But what exactly is the curse of death? Well, to know something, you must know its origins, its cause, where it comes from. And to first learn about death, we have to turn to Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. There we hear those familiar words that God commanded Adam. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If Adam and Eve sin against God, if they break their relationship with him, the curse of death will come upon them. And we know Adam and Eve did fall. They sinned against the Lord, and God pronounced the curse upon Adam, saying, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so death is a curse that someone receives for sinning against God. It's a punishment that comes first upon our bodies, but then also upon our souls. The blessings 
of living in the presence of God are taken away. And all that is left to sinners is the curse of eternal death in hell. And so this is the curse of death. And it's upon all humanity. In Romans 5 verse 12 we read, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because everyone sins. So all sinners are under this curse. And Romans further on will say that even all of creation is under this curse. It groans because of the corruption of sin. And everything dies. All all of humanity and even creation. We speak even of the stars so far away dying. They live under the dark shadow of this curse. And so physical death is what awaits sinners. And this first death, this first physical bodily death, is like a sign. It's a warning of the second death to come. If someone dies bodily, remaining under the curse of their sin, there's no more chance to change, but they are sealed for the second death when they will be completely forsaken. Both body and soul will be in hell, which Scripture calls the second death. And the problem is, sinners can't avoid dying. This is why it causes people so much dread. All sins catch up and lead, lead to our death. The well-known country song speaks to sinners saying, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later God will cut you down. We can't escape our death. And so when we see death around us, in people or in vegetation, we see the effects of sin. We see how painful, how terrible and destructive our sin is. Everything is consumed by time and death. And it could seem that there is no hope. But it's this hopelessness that should drive sinners to cry out for help, to ask, what can I do to be saved from death? Is there any hope for anyone to be saved from this curse? Well, it's when we have lost all hope of ever truly having life, that Jesus Christ comes to speak tenderly to us. We cannot keep our lives by our own strength. But if anyone can save us from death, it's the Lord and giver of life. And yet, how is Jesus going to save us from death and give us life eternal? Well, there's only one thing that could have happened, that could have been done. We confess this in the Catechism. Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed 
is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus took our curse of death upon himself. This is a wonderful but terrible truth. On the one hand, you have the Lord of life, but he needed to be killed, to die, in order that we would not have to face death. That is how terrible your sin is. The source of all life needed to die. And God the Father loves us so much that he sent Christ to become a man to take away the source of our curse, our sin. He took the cause of our death, our sins, upon his own shoulders. Jesus is the only one who ever deserved to be blessed by the Father. And yet he is the one who is cursed by God. And so when you see life in the plants around you, remember those plants only have life because of the source of life, Jesus Christ. And the source of that very life had to die for your sake. And so let us put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Though death hangs over the world, know that Christ came away to take its curse. Believe in him, and you will never receive the curse of death, because in his love for you, Jesus received that curse in your place. Our Lord speaks to us in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Before, you were a sinner under the curse of of death. But by faith in Jesus Christ, you now have life. But there's a problem, isn't there? If Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? If the curse is gone and we have life, then why do I personally have to die? This is the question asked in question answer 42, as well as in the Westminster Catechism. And in the answer, we are assured our death is not a payment for sins. Christ has already died for our sins. And so God isn't doubling up the punishment. Jesus dealt with it completely. It's finished. And so we don't have to worry or fear about any curse being left for us to try to deal with with our works of thankfulness. But if our death isn't some payment for sin, if it's not a curse upon us, if it isn't separation from God, then what is it? How are you to understand the bodily death you are likely going to experience? Well, the catechism summarizing scripture says that it's actually been transformed into a blessing, a benefit for the followers of Christ. Before, death was a punishment for sin, but now we confess that it puts an end to our sin. But what does it mean that it puts an end to our sin? To answer this, we have to remember 
that believers have an old sinful nature that we struggle against. The Belgic Confession puts it this way, the awareness of this corruption, this sinful nature, makes believers groan as they eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. Before we die, we remain in a body of death. It's broken. And while we are forgiven fully by God, we have not been made perfect. Sin remains in us. And it's this struggle against the inner sin that leads Paul to groan in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul yearns to be made perfect like Jesus Christ. He has a deep sense of his sin. But all the time that Paul was on earth, he had to struggle like you and me against his own sinful nature. But does this battle ever end? Well, the catechism says yes. When believers die, Christ fully separates them from their sin. They will never have to struggle against a sinful nature again because the old nature was put to an end in their death. And this is why people speak of those in heaven at rest. They no longer have to fight their sinful desires. Take for an example an elderly, mature Christian. They have a deep sense of how corrupt their own hearts are, even though to our eyes they may seem so far above us. And they begin to long for the day when their corruption is completely gone. You may have seen an elderly brother or sister feel this way, that as they approach death, they receive comfort knowing that the fight is soon over. This is why death is such a blessing to believers. We don't need to be afraid or overcome with regret as we are dying. All our life, we have been striving to be perfect like Jesus. And once we die, Christ completes what we have longed for, to be free of sin. All your sin will be put to an end once and for all. And this is a hope that can keep you going. By getting closer to death, we are getting closer to the end of our body of sin. And we see that Christ then has transformed our death from a punishment of sin into the end of our sin. But Christ has also changed death by making it an entrance into eternal life. Death used to be an entrance into eternal hell. But for believers, death is now a doorway into heaven. Death, which is the last enemy. Death, which has corrupted all of life, which has made life vanity, which has ripped families apart it now leads to a reunion with Jesus Christ and all our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. God uses the evil of death for the good of his children. This truth is encapsulated in what Paul says in Philippians 1, which we read earlier. For to me, 
To live is Christ, but to die is gain. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And so brothers and sisters, have the mind of Paul. Even in death we may praise God, for Christ has made it an entrance into eternal life. By dying, we enter the joys of heaven without a spot of sin on our hearts. We lay down our body and we return to God to dwell with him until the resurrection and glorification of our bodies. Now this isn't to say that we won't have struggles, nerves, or even terror when approaching our own death. For those familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress, you may know that the last great trial that Christian encounters is the river of death which he must walk through. But we can overcome these fears by faith because Christ has already passed through the veil into heaven. Our Savior has gone through death before us and that should give us courage as well as comfort. Take, for example, a group of young siblings trying to walk through a waterfall into a cave behind it. The youngest siblings are usually more nervous and scared. They're unsure. Can we make it through the waterfall? Is there a cave behind the wall of water? And so the oldest sibling goes before them all to show that the way is safe. And seeing their eldest brother walk through safely and calling to them on the other side gives them courage that they can, too can make it through and that there is shelter on the other side. And this shows us a picture of what death is like. It's the same for us believers. As our elder brother, Jesus has gone through the veil of death before us and he is preparing a place for us. He died. He was buried. His soul went to heaven and his body was resurrected and he ascended into heaven until he comes again. And Jesus encourages us with the promise that through our death, our souls will be with him in heaven. Though our bodies die and return to the dust, yet they will be resurrected like his glorious body. And so remember that Christ has gone before us. He has completely transformed death for you. We have nothing to fear, for by dying we receive the blessings of Christ. And we heard a great example of how Christ has transformed death in the passage, Luke 23, about the crucifixion of Jesus and the two thieves. In those two thieves, we see two very different deaths. The first thief, he rails against Christ as he is dying, and he joins in the blasphemers saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. This unbeliever's heart hates God's justice. He doesn't think he deserves to die, and so he forsakes God 
and he remains under the curse. But look at the other thief. He replies saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so this repentant thief, he acknowledges his sin. He knows he deserves the curse of death. But he turns to Christ and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The man confesses his sins. He puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And even though he died on a cross, Jesus promises him, you will be with me in heaven. Today, the day you die, you will not go down to hell. You will not be cursed as you you yourself admitted you deserved because I have transformed your death by my death so that through death we may meet again in paradise. And just think about what it was like for the repentant thief hanging there as he watches Jesus die before him. Jesus dying first. He knows that he too soon will die, just like Jesus did. And before this, he was probably terrified, knowing he was being crucified for his sins. But now, now he can die with confidence, with comfort, and with hope that Jesus is waiting for him on the other side in heaven. His terror is turned to joy because Jesus has taken the curse of death from him. And even though he still has to die, his death brings him back beside Jesus. Not on the cross as before, but in heaven. And so tears of joy would have mingled with his sweat and blood. Songs of praise in his heart with his groans of pain. For his death was no longer a punishment for sins. It put an end to his sin and was an entrance into life eternal. Now this means that all of us must die one of two ways. Either we will die like the first thief, rejecting Christ, blaming God, And so we will die in hatred. And God says we will certainly be thrown into hell. And yet there is hope that we can die like the second thief, acknowledging and repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we will receive hope and eternal life with him. These are the only two ways that you can die. And the difference between how you will die is not whether you will have family around your bedside or medical comforts to ease your going or whether you left a legacy the world will praise because the only thing that that changed the second thief's death was his relationship with Jesus Christ 
on the cross. He died united by faith to the only Savior. Jesus alone can change your death from a curse into a blessing. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of Jesus Christ. Death, which has destroyed so much of God's creation, which has plagued the earth, which is our enemy, it has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Death was a curse that hung over our heads. The impending final separation from God, the source of all good and life. We almost lost everything. But Jesus has saved us by taking that curse upon himself. But more than that, Christ has taken something so monstrous and evil, and in love he now uses it for our good. Jesus kills all your remaining sin in your death. All our evil desires are put to death in our death. And we are welcomed into the presence of Jesus in heaven. And so on whatever day you die, whether that's the months or decades ahead, be assured by Christ's promise, by the hope he gives to you, that today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Let us now respond to the gospel by praying. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we adore you for the hope, the hope that you give to a dying world. By our own sin, death entered into the world, and hell is all that awaited us. Lord, you would have been just in allowing us to completely eat this fruit of our sin. But we praise you that in your love and compassion, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to take away this eternal curse by dying upon the cross and giving us life. Thank you, Father, for giving us hope today, a true hope that comforts us in life and also in death. We ask that this hope would give us peace, that you would work this gospel news in our hearts to give us a peace that passes all understanding that you would give us peace in our own sufferings when we lose brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would give us peace when we ourselves are near to death personally. Grant us your Holy Spirit that you may help us to take hold of this hope by faith, that it would help us to live faithfully before you this coming week. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the